Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 will be there, uh, but we're going to be all over the place today. Again, another reminder for you, if you are not used to what we do here, I'm going to be flying through a lot of scriptures, uh, but our main scripture will be Matthew 15. So if you would uh, not take the trouble too much to write all of them down, because you probably won't keep up. If you want them, you can email me. Uh, my email address is simple. It's just thomasw at 12th.co, 12th.co, and I'll be glad to send you my notes. I want you just to hang with me today. We're beginning a new series, and this new series is uh, kind of catchy, but I want to make sure you understand it right, okay? Because we could get in a lot of trouble as leaders for saying things the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said something the wrong way and then wish you could go back and say that again? Anybody? Yeah, so I want to make sure we understand the title for this series is six dumb things that smart Christians believe, all right? So I'm not calling anybody dumb. I'm saying some of the things that we might believe at times are dumb. And uh, you know the definition between dumb, the difference between dumb and, and stupid, right? Do you know? Some of you do. Uh, the difference would be dumb is when you don't know any better, and stupid is when you know better and you do it anyway, right? That's my definition at least. So this is one of the things I'm talking about. You may not realize that what you believe might not make sense according to Scripture, and that's what we're trying to say. There's things that we believe that don't line up with who God is or what He's done or what He's promised to do, and we're going to address a few of those. There may not be things in this list that you actually adhere to, at least not openly, outwardly. You wouldn't say you do, but some of those things I think we do inherently. In fact, I think it's the water in which we swim in our culture And so I want you to be ready to jump into this and to be looking together with me through the scriptures for the next six weeks as we lead up to Easter. This is a perfect time, by the way, for you to begin praying for how we can invite our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers to come join us, especially on Easter Sunday. Uh, Do you know that so many people in our community don't go to church? We think everybody does in the South, but they don't. And so if they don't have a faith family, if they don't have a church home, you can invite them to be a part of ours. And this would be a great series to bring them into as well. Just a nice little add-on for you there. Um, I hope you'll begin praying about who you need to invite, who you need to bring. Uh, Let me just begin by talking about this week uh, with actually me praying for us before we jump in. So let's take a moment. Let's ask God to kind of clear our hearts and minds of things that might distract, and let's ask him to give us clarity and for him to work in our hearts with his word as we go forward this morning. I'm going to pray for us. Father, you are good always. And Lord, it's not always easy to hear things that we don't like or that we don't want to think about, but Lord, you work in us in order to help us become more like Jesus, who is the picture image of what we were created to be. So Lord, help us this morning, work in our hearts, show us where we are not believing rightly, and help us to believe in you more. Lord, you love us so much that you gave us Jesus so that we might be brought into your family. So help us today to be changed so that we might more rightly represent you to others, and even as we represent you to you and ourselves. Lord, help us so that we might, in turn, walk and live and talk and play and work in such a way that you receive all the glory. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, everywhere you look, I mean, everywhere you look, people are saying a phrase or something like it, that's follow your heart. You've probably heard that phrase before, right? Now, some of you in here would say, like, oh, I don't believe in that. But let me say it some other ways that you might catch it, right? Um, here's some other ways you might hear the same type phrasing. So just, just listen to these and see if one of these hits you. Go with your gut. You heard that? Or maybe something like trust your intuition. Or maybe do what's right for you. Or pursue your dreams. 
It's written all over every notebook you go in the store and look at. You can't find one that doesn't say something like pursue your dreams or believe in yourself. Ultimately, they're all saying the same thing, though. They're saying follow your heart. Follow what you want. Follow your desires. In fact, it's everywhere. And uh, I remember as I was preparing for this, a song kept ringing in my ears. So I'm going to make it ring in your ears so maybe I can get rid of it, okay? Uh, There was a song in the 90s. Let's see if anybody can name it. It It's by the title, Listen to Your Heart. Anybody know? You remember it? Yeah? Well, I'm not going to sing it. I'll save you. But it says this, listen to your heart when he's calling for you. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. I don't know where you're going, and I don't know why. (laughs) But listen to your heart before you tell him goodbye, right? This is is rampant. It's not just in the 90s. It's not just today. It has been for a long, long, long time, as long as there have been people on this planet. In fact, I think this is kind of at the core of, of why Adam and Eve fell out of grace with God because they listened to their heart's desires that weren't in line with desires for him, and they chose something that was out of character with who God is and what he created us to be. And we are not that different. In fact, sociologist Robert Bella calls this worldview expressive individualism. Get that? Expressive individualism. You can have it your way, right? We've heard it all over the place. While Charles Taylor, not our Charles Taylor, a different one, has coined the term the age of authenticity. In the age of authenticity, exercising absolute freedom to choose whatever you want as long as it doesn't impinge on someone else's absolute freedom to choose whatever they want that that is an authentic life. That's what our culture tells us. In fact, choice, irrespective of what is the choice between, becomes the supreme value in this way of thinking. In other words, the extent to which you live this way, that is, the extent to which you follow your heart, is the extent to which you'll live a good life. A great article I read on this, is actually a guy named Jeff Robson. He says it like this, anyone who faces an important decision can't possibly go wrong, it seems, if only they just follow their heart. It's a compelling and powerful vision for life. It's the cultural air we breathe, always assumed, sometimes made explicit, and it's beautifully captured in those three little words, follow your heart. Have you heard it before? You've maybe even said it before? You've at least listened to it internally, or as it externally went inside of you internally, you've thought about, what do I need to do for me? I want to do the thing that brings me the most joy. I want to do the thing that brings me the most, most happiness or freedom in any given situation. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 15, and let's understand a little bit about the heart. I'm going to give you the full context here, because I think it's important, but know that this is going to be more of a systematic type viewing of Scripture. We're going to look at this, and we're going to look at a ton of others, because I want you to understand this is not me saying this. This is the Scriptures, which means it's God saying this to us, and I want you to see that fully and clearly. Let's look in chapter 15 of Matthew. We'll start in verses 1 through 9 to get the background. So read with me. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, by the way, that, that just means that they didn't do ceremonial cleansing. That doesn't mean that all their hands were dirty, so they had to wash their hands with some soap and antibacterial stuff, right? It doesn't mean that. What they mean is, is that you might have touched something that would have been uh, in such a way that it would have made you unclean ritually, and so you're supposed to wash your hands to make sure you don't eat anything and put anything in your body that would be unclean, right? That's the idea here. Verse 3, he answered them and said, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? 
For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said this. Listen, this is really important. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. I love the way Jesus handles people. I call it verbal Tai Chi. It's really awesome. Uh, They're talking to him about how he's doing something wrong by letting the disciples do something, and he kind of lets their own momentum take them down, right? And as he does, he says, "You you missed the whole point. You're taking a commandment of man, and you're replacing a commandment of God with that. And you're acting like that's a big deal. It's not a big deal. In fact, he's going to go on and talk about it. But after he shows this truth from Isaiah, which is really piercing to me, he says that these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How many times do we walk into a gathering on Sunday mornings together to worship, quote, worship, yet our heart is far from him? Our heart has not been following after God. Our heart has not been pursuing God throughout the week. It's not pursuing God as we step in. Maybe we're jolted in as we sing. Maybe God gives us the grace of bringing us to the attention of him and to worship of him through the word. But a lot of times, isn't it hard to get in that groove to do that if you're not walking in it regularly? Our hearts are far. He says, in vain do they worship. You might be coming in here and worshiping in vain. You might be worshiping throughout your week something other than God because you've got your heart set on something other than God. And you can go through the religious motions and nobody will ever know. And maybe you won't even know. But the truth of the matter is that many of us have a heart issue. He goes on in verse 10, he says this. And he called the people to him and said to him, hear and understand. These are commands. He's like, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Part of my mind imagines Jesus being like, oh, oh no, <laughs> right? I offended the Pharisees. He answered in verse 13, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. What a saying, right? If it wasn't bad enough, Jesus, you've already offended them. Now you've really put it to them. And now he turns back here, and here's where the disciples again show up with the, uh, the question. Peter leading the group, he liked to be bold. You know, oftentimes when we're really bold off the cusp, like off the cuff, we don't do so well, right? <laughs> Look at Peter again, he does it again. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the, what's that word? The heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the, what? Heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Go back and look at what he says here. For Verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder. So if you've hated anyone in your heart, Jesus says, then you've committed murder in your heart. Adultery. If you've looked on anyone and you're a married person, if you look on anyone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you're not married, you've looked on anyone with lust in your heart outside of the marriage realm, you've committed adultery. You've committed a, a fornication act in your heart. 
And he goes on just to say, like, well, I didn't lust after so-and-so or do a particular thing. He goes on and covers it up with the next phrase in verse 19, sexual immorality. That word there in the Greek is porneia. That's where we get the word porn or pornography. And that pretty much encompasses everything. Back in the Greek in that time and throughout the scriptures that word is used, it encompasses everything else in the realm. Right? So maybe you didn't lust after someone in your heart, but maybe you just had thoughts or fleeting images or whatever it might be. Those things are all encompassed here. It says it all comes out of the heart. Theft, false witness when you lie, or slander when you run somebody down, right, verbally, slandering. According to the Hebrew and Greek cultures, the heart actually represents the location of our feelings, right? Say it like this. Our desires, our emotions, our feelings are rooted in our heart. That's the way we talk about it. We don't actually mean uh, the cardiac area of our body when we talk about follow your heart, right? We mean the seed of our emotions, of our desires, our will, our thoughts, everything that's kind of rooted at the core of us. In fact, when they talked about the heart, they would have not have covered their chest. They were talking about in wording that would have been more about in the, in the, the kind of nether regions here, that down deep inside of you, deep in the gut, right? Sometimes in the scriptures, it's, they, they translate it with the word mind. Because it's about the seed of your thoughts, the seed of your emotions, the seed of your will, the seed of your desires. So if we break down the statement, follow your heart, what we're basically saying is that follow implies that something or someone is going to lead you, right? I like this quote. I don't often say it, but if you think you're leading somebody but nobody's behind you, you're just taking a walk, right? The idea here is if you follow your heart, you're being led by someone. Something is actually leading you. And it's your heart. And according to this statement, what's going to lead me is my heart. That means my feelings, my desires, my emotions are going to be my guide. The problem with that is, is that our hearts don't do a good job of that. The problem with that is, is that your heart, your desires, your, your, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your thoughts, all of that stuff, your will, all of that can change in a moment, depending on the circumstances. Have you ever really thought that you knew exactly what you needed to do, that it must be the right, perfect choice to make, that your heart was telling you this is what you need to do, you need to put all your chips in this basket, go full out, and you take a risk based off what your heart is leading you to do, and then you wind up in a really bad place from that? You ever been there? I've been there a few times. You chase after what your heart longs for, which your heart doesn't discern anything. In fact, I'd say your heart's pretty illogical. Let me give you some stuff from Scripture about this that goes even further. John Bloom, he wrote a little book that you can download from desiringgod.org. It's free. It says, don't follow your heart. God's ways are not your ways. That's the title. John Bloom, J-O-N Bloom. He gives us a great biblical example, and he says, God considered David a man after his own heart. That's in 1 Samuel, right? Stephen gave us insight to what that meant in the book of Acts, chapter 13. He said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. What qualified David to be king was that he followed God's heart. And when he did, he did it very well. But when David didn't follow God's heart, he did not do well. When David followed his own heart, he was on his way to slaughter Nabal and his household and all of his household, and only Abigail's quick thinking and wise intervention saved David from his blood guilt. When David followed his own heart, he slept with Bathsheba, someone other than his wife, someone else's wife robbing her of her chastity and Uriah of his wife, and even murdered Uriah to cover it up, following his heart. And that brought devastating, devastating evil into his household, where he even lost his firstborn child with Bathsheba. 
When David followed his own heart, he took a census that God had forbidden him to do, and it resulted in 70,000 deaths in 1 Chronicles 21. Following your heart doesn't get you in a good place a lot of the time. You know it. You've experienced. Everybody's followed their heart at some point or another. The scriptures are replete with the fact that we can't trust our own hearts. I want to give you a few of these as quickly as I can. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, you probably heard this. The heart is deceitful above all things. You hear that? The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Would we like our hearts displayed on the screens in front of everyone today of the last, I don't know, year? Probably not, right? The things we've desired, the things we've wanted in secret. Ecclesiastes 9, Solomon, right? The guy who's been stated as being the wisest man in the entire world of all time. He says, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to us, happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Romans 3, 9 through 12, we've covered this a lot lately. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, in other words, Jews and everybody else, Greeks covers everybody, we are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they've become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Jesus even talks about it in Luke 21, 34, where he says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, talking about judgment day, when Jesus returns and judges us all, that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Our hearts cannot be trusted. They will lead you astray. They will lead you down a bad path, but there is a better option. I'm here today to tell you, don't follow your heart. Instead, follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus, who loves you so much that he would give his life for you to bring you into the kingdom. He would love you so much that he would give his life for you, not just to bring you into the kingdom, but to bring you into his family, to call you a brother or sister in his name. That he lived the life we could not live, completely following the Father, giving his heart and desires over to the Father to do his will. He said, I don't do anything of my own volition. I do it all what I see the Father doing. And he then gave his life on the cross so that we might be brought into the family by paying the price for our sins that we deserve to pay. And then in victory, he rose over Satan's sin, death, and hell so that we might be brought into the family of God. This is the one that I want to follow, whom I trust, who since the beginning, before the foundation of the world, he chose us in Jesus. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that he would put us together with him, that he would determine that we would be brought into his family, that he would adopt us into his family because he loves us more than we could ever love him. That kind of love, that kind of shown over and over and over again, always doing what he promised in the past, always fulfilling those promises, never missing one of those things, always certain, always that way. Don't follow your heart. Follow God who loves you so much he would give you Jesus. And the way we do that best is by following Jesus himself. Look, we're supposed to command our hearts not be led by them. You hear me? We're supposed to command our hearts not be led by them. If you're married today and you wake up tomorrow morning and you're like, I don't really feel like loving my spouse very well, that's a problem. You know why? Because you're being led by something that changes with the wind. You should get up, right, and tell yourself, I'm going to love my spouse today. Not because they deserve it, but because Christ has loved me when I was unlovable. Right? Right? 
This is how we should act. We should be commanding our hearts. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. This is the great Shema, right? This is what all of Israel would repeat over and over again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. In other words, deny your heart and take up your cross, the instrument of death, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You pursue your heart instead of me, you're going to lose your life, is what he's saying. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you may wonder today, like, I, I say that I love God. This is my religion. This is what I put my heart into. This is my faith. I, I love him. I, I read the Bible. I pray. Where does your heart reside? What is your heart longing for? If you're not commanding your heart to long for the one who gave up everything to make you his, then you're not walking in the ways of Christ. The one who didn't deserve to be killed for us, the one who didn't deserve to be persecuted, the one who didn't deserve to be jeered at, the one who didn't deserve the shame, that he gave everything over for us and that he did what was necessary in order to bring glory to the Father and to save us and bring us into his family. This is one commanding his heart continually. Are we commanding or are we not? Don't follow your heart, brothers and sisters. Follow Jesus. If you want a heart to follow, follow his heart. A heart that loved the Father more than anything else and who came to seek and save the lost. Don't follow your heart, follow Jesus. Listen, our hearts aren't even logical. They're not even logical. The scriptures say this in Proverbs 19.3, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. You hear that? You think, that's crazy. Who would ever do that? When a man's folly, in other words, when, when your mistakes or you're not being smart or you're making dumb choices, right, leads to folly for you, leads to bad circumstances, then we get mad at God for that. That's just crazy. We, we'd never do that. We do it all the time, right? We get frustrated because we think we deserve something. We get mad because we didn't get what we really wanted. God, I do all this stuff for you. Man, why didn't you give me what I wanted? I, I've been good, haven't I? Haven't I pursued you? Haven't I wanted you? And he's basically saying, you're not getting the point. It's about me. It's about you wanting me. You want me. You got me. That's, that's enough, right? Everything else is just icing on the cake. Some of you are like, well, I like the icing the best. I feel you, pain. Look, here's the truth, though. We've all got broken hearts. They're jacked up. They're messed up. They pursue wrong things. They run us into the ground. They run us in bad places. And when you give your broken heart to Jesus, he gives you a new heart. When you give your broken heart to Jesus, he gives you a new heart. It's crazy, right? He actually gives you a new heart. The Old Testament talked about that this was coming with Christ. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 on. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. See, here's the thing. He gives you his heart. You're dead in Christ, made alive in him, a new creation in Christ. You have the heart of Christ when you're his. Don't let that old stony heart push its way back into that place. 
Don't let it be so, brothers and sisters. Let us fight in order to have the heart of Christ and let that be our heart. It's a continual fight. Psalm 86, 11. Here's some prayers we can make. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart because our hearts are divided. They don't seek after the, the one true God. They seek after many things. We're divided. In fact, that's what it's talking about when Jesus tells us in the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those with a pure heart. Right? He's talking about a non-divided, a one-type solid heart, a unified heart. Lord, help us to have a unified heart to fear your name. Psalm 51.10. This is right after David failed with Bathsheba and his son died after he had committed adultery and then committed murder. David prays out to God. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Brothers and sisters, if you have veered off the path, if you have run off the path, if you've never run to the Lord and you've been living your own way, doing a religion maybe or not doing religion, the day you have the call upon you from the Lord, from his scriptures, creating me a clean heart, you can say that to him. That is your prayer to him for, to be, for you to be saved. Creating me a clean heart. Give me a new righteous heart, Lord, to pursue after you because you've given me everything by pursuing me in Christ Jesus, your son. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. That's why Jesus says things like, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. He is our refreshment. He is our nourishment. Man cannot live on bread alone, right? But on every word of God. And ultimately, the word of God, who is Jesus. J.C. Ryle, you've heard me mention this name enough that you probably should be reading him, right? J.C. Ryle, he says like this, even after renewal, our hearts are weak. Even after putting on the new man, they are deceitful. Let us never forget that our chief danger, listen to this, that our chief danger is from within. The world and the devil combined cannot do us so much harm as our own hearts will if we do not watch and pray. Happy is he who remembers daily the words of Solomon. He that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Let us not trust in our hearts. Let us trust in Jesus. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus, brothers. Follow after the Lord. How do we do that, you say? That's easy to hear. I know that. You're telling me all these things I already know. How do I do that? Well, let me give you a few ways. In fact, I'm going to give you four ways. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You must be saying, well, what's the will of the Lord then? How do I know what to do? Because the real issue is you're following your heart to get to the place that you want to go to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction, to find peace, to find joy, right? That's what you're trying to do. When you're making choices, that's why we make the choices we make. It may be joy that we get in the moment. It may be peace or happiness we get in the moment. Or maybe that we're, we're withholding some actions and doing other things to get peace or joy later, Right? But whatever we're doing, we're doing it to find happiness or joy or peace at some point in time. That's why we do what we do. So our heart is yearning for something to fill us up in that way. So now, how do I do it the right way? So glad you asked. We're going to jump in right here. There's four parts to following Jesus when it comes to your heart. Number one, 
And you've heard these before. I've said them in different ways, some of these things. Number one, follow Jesus by knowing God, dot, 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 (laughs) by knowing the Bible. That's how we know God. This is his self-revelation to us. This is him telling us who he is and what he's done and what he's promising to do for us, especially what he's done for us in Jesus. This is how we know who he is. And oftentimes we are thinking wrongly and therefore worshiping wrongly because we don't know who he is well enough. And in fact, our whole lives should be spent recognizing that we do not know him fully. And so we should delve into his self-revelation to understand him better every day. And when we see something that changes us, we say, wow, I didn't realize that, or I'd forgotten that, then we thank the Lord for it and we press into that thing. Not of our own ability, but we look and see how has Jesus done it for us. That's what we've been doing on Sunday nights with a group we've been working with. We've been learning how do you look at it and see how Jesus has fulfilled all these things in Scripture, and then how because he's done it for us, our hearts love him back, and now we live out our lives in holiness for his glory and for our joy. Follow Jesus by by knowing God, by knowing the Bible. But you go to 2 Timothy 3, talking about how Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable in teaching for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness. Or Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Or Hebrews 4.12, that says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This scripture will open your heart up because it'll say, hey, do this. And you'll go like, I don't want to do that. I kind of want this over here. Oh, it just divided. Thank you, Lord, for revealing my heart and my issues. Show me where I need to repent. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. And we start by doing that through the Bible. You want to know what to do? Understand who God is. And that's a great starting point. That's the guardrails. Anything else that's allowable in here, game on. So how do you understand further what to do, right? What if I have a big decision coming up? Well, listen, if you are in Christ, you have this awesome thing going on for you where God actually dwells in you and wants to guide you through life. So learn to listen to the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Don't listen to your heart. Listen to the Holy Spirit who lives within you. You may think, that's crazy. How do I do that? Well, that's a little more complicated, but it's doable. John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper, helper. Not just God sitting in you, but a helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Acts 13, 2 through 3. Listen to this. This is how it works. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So how did they know to do that? Well, first of all, they understood who God was. They understood Jesus. They had been with him, right? So they understood who Jesus was. They understood who he was. They knew him. And then the Holy Spirit moved in them to set aside these two guys for a particular work. Then they continued to pray and seek the Lord more to confirm that. And then they did that thing and they sent those guys out. How do they know that's right to do? Well, the scriptures say that's what we should do. Be a blessing to all nations, right? Genesis 12. Or as Jesus said before he left, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Commanding them to obey all that I've commanded, and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. In other words, the Holy Spirit will be with you to guide you out there and do that thing. So we know it lines up with Scripture, and the Holy Spirit prompted them as they were fasting. They were giving up something 
in order to say, Lord, we want you more than we want food. We want to know what you want more than we want this food right now. So they were fasting, saying, Lord, show us what to do. When's the last time you took some time and said, God, show me what you want me to do? Don't just wonder about it and let it go and decide because you're following your heart. But what do you want me to do? This is what we need to do right now, church. We're in a critical, pivotal time. Listen up just for a second. We're in a critical time right now as a church because we are, we are seeking the Lord. Your leadership in this church is beginning to seek the Lord to say, Lord, how do you want us to reach the lost here in the way that you've gifted us? And we're to do it. Take the gospel. We get that. But how are we uniquely situated to do that in a way that no other church in this community can do? Lord, what do you want us to do specifically? What are the ministries you want us to be a part of? We need you to seek after the Lord with us and say, Lord, show us what you want. And let the Holy Spirit work in us. I love plurality of leadership. I never want to be the top guy. I want to be with a bunch of other people who are serving the rest of the body, who are working together to discern the Lord's will because I don't trust myself alone. My heart is deceitful and sick and wicked, isn't it? All of ours are. I need you to join with me. I need you to join with our leadership in the church. If you're a leader, join with us and pray and ask the Lord to reveal to us what we need to be doing. Make it clear, Lord, please. Maybe we should fast, seek the Lord together. Have some nights. We just get together just to pray, just over those things. Not just to talk about people that are sick, but to pray and say, Lord, we want you and your will more than anything. And if you want that more than anything, it's amazing what happens. Look, don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Thirdly, seek and submit to godly counsel. Seek and submit to godly counsel. You need other men and women in your life, like I just talked about, so that you can make sure that you're walking the path in the right way. Because sometimes we read Scripture and we misread it, right? Sometimes we read Scripture and we don't see the answer. Sometimes we are listening for the Holy Spirit, but we're not sure if we're quite discerning the right way. So you need other people around you, like a small group, like a Sunday school class, like a group of people that love you and are praying for you that you can go and say, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. Can you help me? Can you pray with me until the Lord gives us clarity and decision of where we should do what we should go and do? Look, Proverbs says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. If you don't like hearing the advice you're getting from other Christians, maybe the problem's not with you, with them, maybe the problem's with you. If they love you and they have no other reason but to help you, maybe the problem is with you. Listen, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed, Proverbs says. Hebrews 3, 12 through 15, listen to this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every day you should be encouraging one another. If you're not talking to somebody in this faith family besides your spouse or kids, every day, at some level, to exhort and encourage one another, then we need to step it up, brothers and sisters. We've got to start exhorting one another. You don't have to do it for everybody, but do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, Right? And encourage one another. Be there. Help one another. Prop one another up. We need one another. We need one another. We're made to be in community with one another. Remember that Christ-centered confessional community. Around Jesus, centered around Christ, confessing our need together. That we might be more strong as we lean into him because we have him as our strength. So look carefully then how you walk. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. And lastly, fourthly, Fight to guard your heart in Christ. Fight to guard your heart in Christ. 
Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, everything that pushes you down the track emanates from your heart. So you better guard that heart well, and you better make sure that you are pouring it over to Jesus and letting him give you back what you need. Because otherwise, you'll be taken down the track a long way. You know, it doesn't take much. If you go in the wrong direction for a few feet, you can correct pretty easy. You go in the wrong direction for a couple of years, it's really hard to fix that ground coverage, isn't it? But thankfully, we have a God who can do anything. So start wherever you are and just turn back to him now. Turn back to him now and fight to guard your heart. Look, guard your heart by giving to Jesus. Listen, there are things that you watch, that you listen to, that you think about, that you read, that you joke about, that you enjoy others joking about but don't participate in because you're too you know, religious to do it, but you like laugh at it when nobody's looking or when you're around it, but you won't participate in. There's things like that that permeate your mind and sink down into your heart and divide your heart away from the Lord. Why would we ever give ourselves over to those things? It's not about being haughty, toddy, or better than, but why would we give ourselves over? Maybe we wonder, why haven't we seen a revival in the ways in which we've heard of them before, maybe in this place or in this town? Maybe it's because we aren't seeking the Lord with undivided hearts. Maybe he's waiting for us to just say, yes, Lord, I'm all yours. Protect your hearts. Protect the hearts of your brothers and sisters, of your children, of your spouses. Don't put things before them that would draw their hearts away from the Lord. It may not even be a bad thing, but what draws your heart, what stirs your affections for the Lord, those are the things to put your heart and mind into. For some of it, maybe going on a run. I don't know why you want torture, and that stirs your heart to the Lord, but if that works for you, then do it, right? For some of you, it's, 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 it's reading poetry even sometimes. You read the Psalms, you read, you read other parts of Scripture that's poetry, and you read something else somebody wrote, and it just stirs your heart to think of the beauty of creation, or you go out and look and see her. For some of you, it's, it's just extra sleep. When you wake up and you just think, man, thank you, Lord. I got more than four hours last night. It was great. Like, whatever it is, it stirs your heart for the Lord. Let everything be done to the glory of the Lord. Pour into those things. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? The way that your heart is guarded is that you rejoice in him. That's that's it. That's a simple equation. Rejoice in the Lord. And when you find joy in the Lord, when you push yourself to find joy in the Lord, your heart will be guarded. Man, when you're enjoying the Lord and something creeps in that distracts you from that and you want to rejoice in the Lord, you're like, man, get that junk out, right? I don't need that. Take that away from me. Turn that channel. Get out of that way. Stop that conversation. Bring it back to the Lord. Whatever it is, when you're rejoicing in the Lord, it changes everything. It changes everything. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. People abuse this verse all the time. Listen to what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord, right? Find your joy in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's because you get him. That's because you get him, because you're delighting in him and he gives you himself. That's the whole idea. I will be your God to be my people. I'll walk among you. That's the whole reason Jesus came here, so that we could be brought back into the family, so that in the end we could be with him. And in the meantime, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us so we could be with him forever. Not one day goes by that you're not with him. Yet how much time do we ignore the presence of the Lord in us and around us? Let us not, brothers and sisters. Let us turn to the Lord. Don't follow your heart anymore. Follow Jesus. Turn to the Lord and put your hope in him. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. 
The psalmist says something that has pierced me this week, and I want to share with you as I close, and I'll pray. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, and they will, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let us return to where we find strength. Let us return to where we find hope and joy. Let us return to a place that will never lead us wrong because he will never lead us wrong. Let us follow the Lord and not our hearts. Father, I thank you for the fact that you love us so much that you would give us Christ, that you would give us the one who's worth more than all of creation. Lord, I thank you for what you've done for us in him. Lord, help us now to love you back, not to follow after the things that are trivial or that pale in comparison to your grandeur and your beauty and your majesty and the joy that we can receive from following you. And let us once again turn back to you. Lord, I pray for those here today that have never, ever turned to you. I ask that you work in their heart that they might repent of sin, turn away from sin, and turn back to you now. I pray for those of us in this room that know you but have given ourselves over to other things and to to other desires, Lord, that do not bring you glory. Would you work in us to repent of those things, to turn away that you might be our one true ultimate love, and that as you love us more than we can ever imagine, that we would love you back by following your son Jesus and not following our heart. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. Please help us to love you back because you first loved us and ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.